Well, I'm gonna have to get a beat. is Grand Fresh live from Brussels. Woohoo! Welcome. Hey, Kath is like, Mela, stop lying. It's not life. <laughs> I know, I know. But what is life anyway? So we're okay. doing this live to ourselves right now. Right. We're doing it for an audience, but we're kind of also doing it for And us. technically it is life because you know what the definition of live is? Life. No. <laughs> no, but you know what live actually means? Go on. No, but tell me, what do you think live means? As an adjective. Yeah, like when things are live, when what does it mean? <laughs> Goodness. When things are live, that means that they're situated right now in space and time. Uh, incorrect. <gasps> mm-hmm. You played me. Uh-huh. Live in theater, for instance, means when you have an audience. And that we do. Okay, wait. Before we do that grand reveal, what other context can that be used in that isn't theater? Like a live performance, for instance, is a performance where you have other people there seated as an audience. So everything that we know to be live, like live coming from you, blah, 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 like Seattle, and you're in your living room watching it, that's not live, technically. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Grand and fresh. That, that is a grand and fresh ooh, statement. Ooh. That's a grand and fresh statement. So, you know, you just heard Kimmy. Kimmy, Kimmy. Kimchi, get up in here. Uh, yeah, our live audience. <laughs> Flying straight in from Los Angeles. Angeles. Whoop, whoop. And Kim is this, like, professor-ish person um, in Post-colonialism. On um, post-colonialism. And she's looking extra fly. <laughs> you know, I see some African in there. I Ooh. see some, you know, Ethiopian influences with the shirt. Is that Haitian? Mm-mm. That oh. is a French designer stealing people's stuff. Oh, she's We got cultural appropriation. Yeah, we got some cultural appropriation. Yes. <laughs> cool. But yeah, Kim is awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I wonder if anyone hears anything I'm saying. <laughs> Hi, microphone. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kim. Um, should I introduce myself fully? Yes! Okay, so I'm actually a psychologist turned social scientist with anthropology, and my background is in post-coloniality, deconstructing, all these very modern and past tense things such as, yeah, I forgot what was deconstructing. Decolonizing, yes. <laughs> and all these other things, modernity and dealing with mobility and globalization and all those very fun topics that make people happy. And aside from that, I'm a psychologist who likes to analyze people. On my weekends, I don't do any analysis. And that's about it for now. Dancer and... What was the food for? <laughs> like dancer. Yeah. dancer, yeah. Dancer, yes. This is true. And I'm working on dance in the body currently. That is my topic. But I was supposed to be here on this podcast and I have to go back to work because I have to defend my work in two weeks. Oh. <laughs> well, before you leave, because I hear this often, I think maybe you had already talked about this. Do you believe in, a lot of people say, oh, I don't believe in the word decolonialism because that only signifies a kind of retrenchment going back only post-colonialism. Where do you situate yourself into that if you, had, if you believe in decolonialism? Decolon- 
Um, okay, I, this has been a very long discussion in my work because we talked about why I asked why do we insist on a post-colonial narrative and then why not decolonizing or deconstructing. I'm more for deconstructing because I think decolonizing does in the term to decolonize means to undo colonial ideology. Mm. So it does not, I don't look at the temporality of the past per se because we have neocolonialism, neoliberalism which are all tied into colonial aspects in the post-colonial narrative. But I think that not to throw people off and not to get stuck in a semantic argument, which is, I think, very neoliberal, which is the decolonial. I say I opt for deconstructing because we are always deconstructing and deconstructing is always present. So in deconstructing, you're not confined to colonial. You're defined to, it can be in economics, can be psychology, it can be in sociality. So just to remove that argument where people say, yeah, that's temporal of colonialism, I opt for deconstructing because then we can focus on the issue and in deconstructing you can deal with coloniality, colonialism, you can deal with the neos factors as well and not get stuck in that. That's my thought on that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Don't you just want to like stick around and talk to us some more? Like you see how easy it yeah. is, Kim? We would love to get a little bit more of that. Yeah. Can we have the rest of our audience give it up for Kim to stay a little bit? Cat, always supporting us. Love it. This is Love a pretty it. lit audience. <laughs> it is. It is. Pretty lit life audience. <laughs> I must say. I'm enjoying a nice tea with this audience. I love it. But, but Kim, so like, um, is there a discussion going on right now on like replacing decolonialism with deconstructing? Is that a current topic? Oh, that's a, it's such a, even, oh, that's a like... The topic of post-colonialism is up for discussion. The topic right. of decolonizing, the topic of colonialism is up for discussion. And in my research, I found myself, at first I was, I guess I'll answer from the post-colonial perspective. When I first started, I think I was more um, critical of the post-colonial narrative and saying it is not, we're not there, or it never really happened, it's convenience. And then after doing my research, I think that we accept that these terms, that they... I think they're hard to change once they're there. So post-coloniality is going to exist, colonialism is going to exist, decolonizing is going to exist, but they're going to be framed in these specific narratives because it's an academic space. I just think it's like you have the understanding of the academic space, but then you have the right to also change its form in your other social lives as well. I don't think we should get stuck into one prescribed way Mm -hmm. of doing things. I think this is a fault of academia that this is an all-knowing answer. Okay, decolonizing is just with colonialism of the past. And then you're saying... What has actually changed in colonial sense now? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's an argument between colonialism and coloniality because they're two different things. I don't see the difference. One is about temporalities and even other little nuances. The other thing for me is that I think that's just a play on words. So I think decolonizing can still exist. I think we could still look at it. But I think it makes it problematic for people to come together because they hide around, the again, the definitions or the meaning of if it's going to stay. I think it's let's not focus on if it's going to stay or not. It's just that we should keep acknowledging that it does exist. But I'm more interested in where do we go next. This is my work right mm-hmm. now is how does the body move in a post-colonial mm-hmm. era if, we are t- if we're putting ourselves in this frame of we are post-colonial, which I don't fully think we have become yet, mm-hmm. and we have something that we can move into. It's more of like... We can keep arguing for how to link ourselves to past and to argue against past rhetoric, but I'm a bit tired of that because all we're doing is mimicking and reproducing on top of an old narrative. Mm-hmm. And I think that our bodies have so much more of a story, and this why I look at dance now in the post-colonial sense. This is really my work right now, mm-hmm. and just finish this right now, is I think that our bodies have been carrying a narrative that has been unspoken and basically disregarded because the body, especially a body out of a non-white uh, perspective, is 
often looked at to entertain and to be sexualized mm-hmm. and to be cultured in a certain way. So I look at the Caribbean background as my focus. And it's just that why don't we give our bodies more agencies to ask what happens next when we do look at deconstructing in our present sense and to look at uh, aspects not just like, is it decolonizing? Is it colonialism? It's just like, well, what happens now? When you keep talking about the past, you keep pulling into that narrative and you mm-hmm. don't move. You move in a restriction and you move in a space that's telling you how to move. So I want to look at the body and arts and theater, which has not looked at this so much, whereas academia talks about it. All we do is talk, but we restrict our bodies for movement. So this is kind of like where I want to go with it. If I answer your question in a longer way. Yeah, I'm totally, totally. And, I, and the reproduction is a problem because I think that when you actually look at movement unchained from anything of the, let's say, decolonizing or colonial narrative, you're forced to create and right now we have all the tools, we have all the information at our hands, which our families did not have to look at these, or we weren't given so much dialogue around it. And what's ironic is with all these tools, we still don't create something we knew. We create something that mimics the past and also the present without really looking at the other things and how they link together. Let's talk about neoliberalism and how that's working for our social society. Let's look at how neoliberalism is, as one of my um, cases said, was a very strong relationship to colonialism. Like you, you won't say colonialism now, you'll say neoliberal, and then that's reduced to an economical stance. But I argue that there's a social factor in that that we don't want to look at because that makes us realize how intertwined things are beyond the semantics or beyond the functionality of things. So if you look at this and you connect new things, you're forced to create a new way of movement, a new way of thinking, and also giving the body agency to think before the mind. So being a human that is actually being and is not just thinking through a narrative of logos. Was a wow, Professor Kim. <laughs> yeah. Give that wow. PhD now. She's Damn. taking you back to school. Yeah, Fanon better take a back seat on that. Mm-hmm. For real. Fanon, she coming for you. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. My influence for this body of work actually does come from Franz Fanon. At the end of his book, Black Skin, White Mask, or maybe it's Wretched and Earth. I don't remember. Book tip. Because I, I, I have it. Let me I, grab it. I mm-hmm. have it. The French one. I'm never sure. The dumbest. Um, which one I'm referring to. But the end, he says, oh, my body, make me a man who always thinks. And I look at that. I know that the narrative is around the black body or the non-white body being objectified. But I'm... Uh, <laughs> sorry. Jaden, Jaden <laughs> stood up and he took the book and he brought it to us. I love that. Passy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, then I forgot that you already probably memorized it, it front to back. So it's, it's my quote. It's what influenced me in my work. This work is going to be out soon. We hope, if it's good in the defense. Um, and uh, where can we find this work? Well, since I know you guys, I can send it to you. But, <laughs> but where can other people interested? That's a good question. I don't know yet. I have to ask my director. In a, li- <laughs> in a library, probably? Probably it's going to be at the university first. What university is that? What should I say? Right, Leuven? <laughs> Kay Leuven? Oh, hey. Leuven again? <laughs> wow, small city, great minds. Going through the ringer. That's a big Yeah, yeah, I got a lot to say about that university. (laughs) On a different topic. Oh, what I wanted to say about um, the Fanon was actually inspiring in that sense of, oh, my body make me a man who always thinks. I thought about that like, okay, I'm dancing, I'm working, and I miss the theater, and I miss psychology, and I think the problematic thing about anthropology is that you're confined to this very academic way of being, and let's not say anything. I think Mm -hmm. sometimes you need to just say things, and you also need to say what you feel and not be so prescribed. And I was just like, Fanon does leave a good question, oh, my body make me a man who always thinks. I think the intention was definitely around race and the issues of the body being a spectacle, and I thought like, how does that work now? Like, I think Fanon would really use that in a different way, especially because I think that dance and the movements are... Very, we have a very problematic uh, 
society right now with dance. Look at videos. Look, I've been watching a lot of videos and dance, and the performances actually reconfirm the expectations of the bodies. If you look at it, the genres, it's there. And it's like we're breaking through that in some small scales. I think uh, Donald Glover's new video, mm-hmm. if you just saw it, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And it's really great. Can you re- talk about the video for the people that What's haven't the seen it? <laughs> What's the name of the video? I think video? it's like... This is America or something? Oh, yeah. my dad just sent me the link to that today, too. Oh, my God, my friend just sent it to me. And uh, It's called This is America. This is America. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Love it. So I thought, like, this is this thing is coming what is up. What is it? Like, I haven't seen it. So t- I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to yeah. explain it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will close this one because I think it's, like, this is really where I think we're in the post-colonial era because these topics are popping up. But I thought there's so much, there's so little about the body in the creation. And I think Donald Glover is a really... I think Andre 3000, Donald Glover are two people of futuristic That's a big arts. statement. Uh, yeah, That's... I'm gonna go with they are futuristic. Like, th- I mean, Outcast was super futuristic. True. We really appreciate. Like, I went back to Outcast, and then Andre 2000, Love Below. Like, this mm-hmm. is real creation of saying, like, let's break away the, the you know the misfits. The black body is mm-hmm. not being confined to a certain role. But he does hip hop. But he does poetry. But he raps. He's just like it was a director. Oh, it was everything. And I think Andre 2000 is like 3000 was so appropriate mm-hmm. at the time and still is. Mm-hmm. And then Donald Glover is another one who I think is he's not only modern but he is looking future. And I think um, Fanon would have touched on this if he was around today because I think that movement in theater and the performance and minstrel which comes up in Donald Glover's video is like very important to look at the body because this video is all about the body and movement. It's not only like the the reactions, you have the, the hidden, the numbness, the feelings of fragmentation, hysteria. I wrote about hysteria in my paper, so I did use hysteria in this video. And I thought Donald Glover is really just, like, he's, you know, he's feeling the same thing I'm feeling. He's drinking the same tea I'm drinking. Because it was just like, that body, i never seen Donald Glover dance, let's be honest. i never seen him dance. <laughs> but he went out of his way to show that body. And that was the important thing, is to watch the movements and watch the body as a spectacle in that sense of saying, like, what happens is that... It reminded me, it linked me through the colonial narrative of Brazil. So basically in the video you have this guy dancing and then he shoots a guy and people are dying. And it's generally people, It was I think it was only black people in the video that were shot or harmed. And he's walking through and he's smiling and he's performing. You have to keep going, keep running. And despite everything for capital, for fame, and for the numbness, you just have to keep going and using your body as a figure of, let's say... Um, about your body as a tool of agency to get past those things. And that reminds me of Brazil, because when I was living in Brazil, it was like, oh, someone got shot, let's samba. Oh, this happened, let's samba. So you use dance because it's the only way you can get through and that for things you cannot mention, you cannot speak about, you use a body and you use it as a form of entertainment and your body becomes an entertaining tool. And it is generally non-white bodies that are entertaining tools. And I was like, Donald Glover just really did that there. It was like, look, this stuff is happening. You don't feel anything to it. You don't even feel shock anymore because you're so used to it. But look at my body. Look at me dance. Look at these dances. Look at the dance I'm doing. I'm sending a message to you, like your expectations of this. And that's the only way I can be visible is that how you expect my body to perform in this way. Mm-hmm. And I found that very just poignant that there's people getting shot and they're just like, Donald Glover is dancing, you know? Yeah. And he's doing these moves. Like, that is so crazy. He's doing James Brown. And you're just like, that's problematic. And he's intentionally going at those things of the body and how the body's recognized. You know, the shirt's off. He's He's got a figure. And you're just like, oh, that's how a body's supposed to perform, especially a non-white body. That's it. And who cares about the people getting shot? Who cares about that? Because our bodies are capital, you mm-hmm. know, for you to put on display. I think that that's very a post-colonial thing of like, let's not even look at the narrative. Like, I think the video makes you look visually and everything jumps. Everything moves. Everything's happening very fast. So you're, you're left with bodies, movement, fragmentation, all these feelings. And I was like, this is so, so post this is so post-colonial if we look at post-colonialism because the argument is who talks about post-colonialism outside of academia. So it's just like, in this sense, I feel like this is something that is in the air that we're coming through. Bodies and movement and creation from something new. 
Yeah. But still acknowledging that there is still something here that is an issue. We will never erase those things because new forms of oppression, racism, things are keep existing in our systems. But then how do you create something to respond to that now so it actually resonates with you? Because what he's showing is that this doesn't resonate with you anymore because you're so used to it. This becomes normal. Violence becomes normal. Oppression becomes normal. What do you do next? Wow, interesting. Deep, 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 deep. Yeah. It's wow. just one way, right? <laughs> I'm going to check out the video as soon as we finish this. It's really great. Yeah. What's happening in arts is really interesting right now. I think it's really, there is a consciousness that's coming and I'm happy to have aligned myself by chance with my own personal narrative mm-hmm. and then looking at uh, bodies. I think it's just like, that will be interesting to deconstruct or work with. So if you want to look at that paper... Yeah. It's labels hysteria is also a very interesting topic to go back to. Freud wrote about that, and even if you don't like Freud, if you, I took uh, I, I took I it to Jay baby is he stand, <laughs> stands for Freud. Wow. I stand. <laughs> I stand for psychoanalysis. Yeah. Yeah. I. I the same thing though. Nah. <laughs> no, I know that. I know that. Lacan. Hey, what's up? Well, <laughs> if you listen, hit to me up. I'm not a fan of Lacan, I'll openly say that. I know Fanon and everyone touched on Lacan, but I think Lacan was generally appropriate and visible for his time. I think that he's also an exploitator of being this like kind of mystical figure on saying nothing. Lacan doesn't always close. Oh, absolutely. Like, I just feel like he would, I would throw a book at him right now. <laughs> like, Lacan, stop this bullshit. What are you actually saying? Sorry, he does get my butt blowing, but hey. I <laughs> he have, was too performative for me. <laughs> I have a question. So in, a, in another way, but in a similar vein... Um, talking about post-colonialism and decolonialism, so what do you think of the term person of color? Oh, gosh, this is the problem when you study things too much. It's like, I see both sides. I understand. Person of color. Yeah. Um, and how it's currently being used sometimes to erase black people from the conversation. Not my words. <laughs> uh, not my words today. That's such a lot of that's such a lot of topic. I think that is it can be its own conversation and stuff. Right. That seems like a productive right. answer. I always go back to I wrote a paper on um body po- black body politics and the creation of the hybrid bodies, so the browns, the yellows, all these new terms to create right. again the resistance against blackness and what mm-hmm. blackness is. And basically if you fragment color by making these reductive terms through whiteness, you basically have everyone attacking them attacking blackness and striving for whiteness. So they'll never be um, uh, there will never be this cohesive moment because you're like, oh, I'm not black, I'm brown. Right. The, the Caribbean. person of color. I'm yeah. Latinx. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah or I'm Afro, like whatever. And it's like, the Caribbeans were considered the brown islands. There's this horrible quote, and I use it in my work all the time. They said something like, um, the Caribbeans, not white enough to be European, not black enough to be African. They are hybrids. They have no land, Ooh. and therefore they're not interesting in the ethnographic research. Another favorite, mm. hybrids. We were, Excuse me, are you a car, sir? <laughs> 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 it's like this and you're just like brown black like what is that and you, you're taught to prescribe to these things I think person of color is just a it definitely has problematic discourse I just think one of the things I was thinking about when I wrote my paper was you know if you've seen Spike Lee's do the right thing yes and I think that's Podcast also Dave. yes that's also very modern post-colonial narrative I think he was also in some ways futuristic in that movie at the end of the movie what do you have like I won't kill the whole movie for you but something bad happens mm-hmm. and there's a crime and it's obviously racialized because the cops are racist and what they did was clearly racist to the black body right oh, I mean cops are cops then yeah cops being cops <laughs> which is like Ah, I'm going to answer sort of a different answer at the end. But at the end, what happened is like there's a Korean shop owner mm-hmm. and the atrocities happen in a basically black neighborhood and these white cops are patrolling it. 
I think Odyssey says, how can you patrol a place that you never even lived in? Kind of this rap, but very clever point. Um, so basically, they the Korean guy at the end is like, as the fire is breaking out and everything's really tense and everyone's going towards the Korean, he says, stop, stop. I am black too. And I thought that was a very poignant, like people would be politically like, that's not right. How can you say that? And I was like, but listen again, like listen to the narratives in which we create Western identity and how we fragment each other from being close. Like I just came from Vietnam and I think there is a strong a connection between blackness and identity that is worth looking into. But it's just like, listen to that phrase. What he's saying is that, I get to exist as this fabricated yellow body till it's convenient. When you are done, the cops will make me a black body. Like basically blackness is the, it's the last moment before you get to, I guess, save yourself in that sense, according from whiteness. So you get to be like, so all of you, like your browns, your reds, your yellows, whatever these nonsense terms you've created, and yes, I'm saying that, is that you're saying it's convenient and then the whiteness is saying it's convenient, up until the point where we don't like you, and guess what? You will be black. And that's what the whiteness goes back into. So it was an open narrative that basically opened up to basically pull these new terms and say that, okay, now you're red, you're, you're red, you have to go against blackness. And it's like, in the end, for whiteness, you're just all the same when it's convenient. And I think person of color is, I don't know who, who originated from which um, place it came. So I don't know the fullness of it, but I was watching something on it. So um, person of color came from these... A group of women that were at a certain type of forum or convention, and they were going to write a list of uh, action movements that they wanted to do, and they were all black women. And then there was other, uh, I think, Bangladeshi uh, women, some other like uh, Latinx women, Afro-Latinx women, so black women as well, but also I think natives. I'm not sure exactly who, um, but they were also like, wait, we can really get behind this as well. Um, can we also be part of this action movement? Can we also do these things? So they were like, yeah. So they also said, let's just call ourselves people of color. So people of color was also something that was based from blackness originally, labeled by them. Then they started to use that term, then right. spawned so- from there. I don't know who designates the terminology now, but that as a genealogy um, exists from that. That's, see, that makes it even more complicated as where to critique it. And I think it's just more of like, for me, I don't argue for if you use it or not. I mean, racial slurs, I don't even want to hear that but I think that's this argument keeps us fragmented in the bigger picture and I think it's like what I argued at the end of my paper was that basically that we need to always you know fight for blackness in the sense of that it is it should never have been something that is negative since this white terminology created blackness this loose this whole term that was just fabricated by racism which I find it really phenomenal that we're still fighting for these terms so I think it's like we have to all remember that blackness is yeah everything outside of the white spectrum and that's not really that that's a lot of things and I think it's like if you want to say person of color you can get behind that but I think you should also strive to make blackness the dignified thing that it should be so I think that's the most important thing that you obviously opt for the black narrative first and then you can go into color or whatever Latinx you want to use but I think if you're all going to say I'm a high person of color I think that needs to be um, arched by blackness first that would be my approach to basically give the black body that same visibility and worth that I think person of color when put in comparison or put in contrast always is elevated higher and I don't want to see that because I think that blackness is a term that was colonize into a racial discourse of being the most inferior on the spectrum and to deal with that to bring it to even if we were erase racism I don't think it's going to happen soon but if you were to deal with that I think you need to just basically make that the primary term to focus on everything comes secondary okay so I'm just trying to make sure I'm getting all of it so if someone 
like a Moroccan person in Belgium, like from Arab origin, if that's even a thing, uh, calls himself black, that's something that you would applaud or? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, this is, again, I'm, not, I'm, I'm moving away from this because I still want to look at different things, but I think it's like, it's not that I would applaud it. My first question would be, what is the intent behind it? I think if you're doing it for comedy or for humiliation or you're doing it to prove a point, then you're, you shouldn't be doing that. I think if you're not comfortable, you need to prove a narrative which is around race, and you should just stop right now. Like you shouldn't have to show that you're yes. Like I would never go and be like, yeah, I'm Arabic black movement. Just things I would not say. Like mm -hmm. that's just not natural. It should naturally be something that you really prescribe to or really believe in. Like the way Ho Chi Minh believed in. He believed in the Black Panthers. He believed in New York City. That wasn't like a, a false narrative. Ho Chi Minh is very intricate. At the end, he leaves for Harlem. I mean, completely just distraught with the Europeans and the Americans and how they're being. He ends up going to Harlem. I think his relationship to blackness was never to be like, I'm here to prove a point. Like, this is blackness. It's just something like, this makes the most sense. I think it's, where's a person's narrative coming from with that? I just think that it would be always odd to me if someone has to say that to me especially to me or someone else or any person of color. <laughs> it just would be like, why are you saying this to me? Would you say this to a white audience? Would mm -hmm. you be proud enough and bold enough to say it to a white audience? And when you have that way of being, then maybe we'll probably talk about that that's a real thing. Because for everyone else, for everyone who's not white, you're prescribed a race. That's the thing, you're prescribed a race. I think if you are willing to affirm that in a white space, then your intentions might be good. I don't really know. I don't want to answer these things because I feel like it's such a problematic thing. It goes back and forth. And I don't really, it's not that I don't want to focus on it. I just think it gets us fixed in the raciality of what is blackness, what is, what is people of color. I think like, bloody hell, like we just need to deal with the whole issue of racism as a, as a whole. Like what's yeah. happening? I mean, Donald Glover's video isn't going to be like people of color or black people. It's like what happens is violence and atrocity and we're completely getting used to that and we're completely getting numb to that and we're still so focused on capital and exploiting our own bodies and our communities. So I think it's like, what do we really want to talk about when we talk about it? Talk about the fragmentations of different colors or want to talk about racism as a whole? So I don't want to look at fragments because I think that keeps us fragmented. I want to look at the whole structure. So if people want to fight for people of color versus blackness, I don't have a particular guidance on that. I don't think I can guide on that at all. But there's like... For, like now, for instance, in, in the Netherlands, there's like a huge discussion going on, um, you know, on political blackness and when when do you call yourself black and when are you like not black anymore and how um, people um, that are not black, like quote unquote black, mm -hmm. claim blackness, but they don't go through the same struggles as actual black people do. And it raises some of the narratives of, of black people with more black features, you know, that, that whole discussion, doesn't it like... Isn't a very sensitive topic in that way? Well, I just asked myself, what would Fanon answer to this question? <laughs> this is exactly what popped in my head. Like, what would Fanon answer? Again, I'm still in a phase of like mobility and deconstructing. And I think these are, these are fragmented things. And I think that interesting case, I just did a case with the Netherlands and Curacao as well, ironically. So Haiti and Curacao came up in my work. And I think they have such fascinatingly problematic issues around race and how a person from Curacao who has a Dutch passport is treated like a secondary citizen as the alochton thing that's going yeah, yeah. on. Alochton, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this word is ingrained in my paper about 40 mm. times. <laughs> it's an English uh, word too. Alochtonius or something, it's an English word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Anything, yeah. They all blend <laughs> together. French, English, German. Spanish, Portuguese, did I miss anything? <laughs> Croatian. Croatian. I can speak a bit of Croatian. <laughs> I can say, 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 I can say
I'm not surprised. Wow. <laughs> Which is not relevant to our topic of conversation. So, who knows? We can put that together. Um, yeah, to answer, I feel like this answer is always like it's leaving people like you guys literally on the edge of your seat right now to get an answer. From literally, me. literally. <laughs> and if I give, and it's like it's so important for me to give an answer, and I guess I'm asking like, I can't answer all of that because I am not the representative. I am not the one that speaks on behalf of those things. I think that's like, I'm still arguing again, like, okay, issues of reducing blackness, issues of reducing identity. I get all of that. But can I ask how do we come together and deal with the issues of racism or systemic issues? Like we have never dealt with those things. We just keep dealing around the circle and we don't, we don't seem to solve the problems that still exist in the same ways, just in slightly different dressed up ways. And we're still like, yeah, they feel like it's in the Netherlands. I think that's probably true. People do feel reduced about their black identity. I do think there is color colorization is a big issue. I get a pass in the society because of the way I look. I know that's there. But at the same time, I I, I need everyone to come together to deal with a larger thing that is the same everywhere. You face it in Brazil, you face it in Haiti, you face it in Cuba, you face it in Vietnam, you face it in Thailand, you face it in Europe, you face it in America and Australia and all these places and it's just like should we talk about Netherlands and their experience mm-hmm. of black should we talk about New York and their experience of blackness and how much, how do we bring us together to understand that there is a problem we all experience that we know that's real but we're not dealing we're just discussing everything like when are we going to apply something when are we going to move our bodies into application that's what I'm more focused on there like okay. it's great to discuss it it's great to say it's a problem but my discussion just adds to another like million of other discussions and someone will argue like you're wrong this is not right this is what you're saying I bet you you'll feel a trend right now like a thread of like someone saying how could you not answer this question by not answer this question you're like I don't know just confirm it's like oh god I want to read that (laughs) not that I'm afraid to have it just like Okay, you can you can argue that you're always going to end up in that argument, which I think is still very binary. Like, is this against blackness? Is this reducing blackness? Is this for blackness? No, is, true. And I think it's like, well, we can all agree that you say you're a person of color, you say you're black. You both face an issue because at the end of the day, I'm sorry if the cop has to choose. Like, that's just you need to, you need to understand the reality of and how she race was, works. What, she, she was, was, I think she thought she was white, but she was definitely Turkish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, just so you know, we're gonna be like, just like right there, burning. <laughs> so I was right. like, again, like that's how to me it's like how race works. At the end of the day, it's like you can fight for your redness, or you can fight for your red bone, yellow bone, whatever. Don't even ask me about those topics. I just heard about this a few months, and I was just like. How do we keep creating problematic discourse and race? So I think it's like, do you want to fight for that? Or do you want to fight for us to come together? Like the Korean in Do the Right Thing who was like, stop blackness. We need to focus on that. We need to come together for that. And yes, it may feel like I'm appropriating your neighborhood or it may feel like I'm limiting your space. Mm -hmm. But in the end of the day, I've seen your problem. I feel your problem. I don't get it the same way. But once you're gone, I'm going to be that problem. I become that blackness that they don't want. And it's like, so how do you deal with that? Why aren't we dealing with that issue? Like systemically, it's still the same nonsense we face in the 20s, in the 40s, in the 60s, in the 80s. And we keep fragmenting ourselves into these micro issues. I think they're relative. But I think you can't fix the micro without the macro first. And the macro is systemic oppression and racism, which is the same issue applied in a neocolonial sense. It's still there. It's got us fighting each other in this sense. And how do we come together? Like, How do we create those beautiful movements where, I mean, even Malcolm X revises himself at the end of his work. He has his first opinion and he changes. And it's like, we have to also be willing to change because the experience will change you when you go to Morocco or when you go to Lebanon, that you're not going to have the same narrative that you do in Europe. So it's just like, do you want to argue about the experience in your city definitely do that I can't speak on that but can we come together and speak on the issue that we do share is that we're all going to be oppressed as people who are not white 
that's the reality. Yeah, that's really interesting to ha- like have a more nuanced view on that topic because it's very polarized and it's very you have like no, you can't claim blackness unless you're like black, black, black. But um, at the same time, though, how do we uh, address anti-blackness in those communities then, like in Korean communities and like Arab communities? Because when they say I'm black, they're actually basically saying, you know, you can't be, I can't be anti-black because I'm black. And like, how are they then addressing that sentiment in their own communities? (laughs) yeah because you know we need to talk about anti-blackness and and like as you said your turkish neighbor was very racist oh she definitely was she was was obviously racist like i am going now right 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 it just it just showed you like how much that colonial narrative play and how much whiteness is a is a problem and i think it's like the key point is like we are discussing always the we're always discussing the side of the oppressed we're never Mm -hmm. discussing the oppressor we're always discussing the oppressor and like how do we fix it like but but this all started with Racism and colonialism and slavery and all those things that were created through white, white oppression. Why don't we talk about that? And I think Gloria Wecker opens up the example of white innocence, and you're seeing these pop-ups for discussing whiteness and really like as a the idea of whiteness needs to be discussed because I think you might want for ans- find more answers about this through that because mm-hmm. why do we keep repeating these anti-black narratives? Like Morocco's like I'm not African. I'm like okay. I looked on a map yesterday, and I looked on it last year. It's still in the same place. <laughs> yeah. It is still Africa. Actually, when I entered my stamp, it said, you know, Morocco, Africa. But just, 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 you know, just to make sure we're not delusional. Maybe my map is off. But Google Maps also told me it was Africa. It's like, these are stupid things to say. It's ridiculous. Like, why are you saying that? Like, why does Africa threaten you in that sense to do that? Like, what is your problem with that? Like, how much is your mind colonized? Like, let's deconstruct that. And I think if you talk about whiteness, you're going to deconstruct that because that's, that, that, I was actually experiencing that in Vietnam when I was there. Like, there was this, little micro nuances of people discussing whiteness, not Vietnamese, not discussing their side, but discussing like the problems you left them. I mean, I won't mention Aiden Arndt and all these other things, but the problems you left them, I think these issues you're saying about anti-blackness, well, where do they come from? The anti-blackness comes from the exact origins of the superiority and the illusion, this fabricated nonsense of whiteness. So why aren't we attacking the source, but we're attacking the outcome? Interesting. Mm. Well, I don't know. I think, oh my God, I don't know. I think it's such a complicated um, story. And to like talk about, um, for instance, I'm Ethiopian, right? So Ethiopian was never colonized. Uh, obviously, it felt the, the consequences of colonialism and of Eurocentric, uh, Eurocentricism. Mm-hmm. But um, Ethiopia has a very anti-black um, um, attitude and sentiments, and I'm not entirely sure that all has to do with with white culture and white superiority. I think there is something in the Ethiopian culture and the Semitic culture as well that's anti-black. I agree. I agree. I think, but where does that come from? That's a question I'm asking. I don't, know. That, I don't that know. comes from something. I I'm not sure entirely if it's only if it only has to do with with um, colonialism I think there was anti-black night blackness prior to colonialism in Ethiopian society as well but then if you if you can put like I always ask people like if you can put a word to something if you can say blackness if you can say anti if you can say these things these are things you create intentionally consciously mm-hmm. it's not hysteria where it's like unconsciously sitting in your body it just comes out the moment you give a meaning to something it comes from something mm-hmm. so it's, where does that come from mm-hmm. to be able to understand a race and to acknowledge it means you are aware you've learned to identify like we learned colors as kids we learned how things 
work, what to keep, we give this thing a name, you see it, you feel it, you touch it. So to be anti-black, you don't just, you're not born that way. No, no, no of course is. not. It's so learned. It's like, yeah, yeah, so yeah, where yeah. is it learned from and from what, uh, what genre or what tool or what medium gives it that? And that's a question I would ask. I'm like, this is definitely not floating out of the sky. I mean, the Enlightenment did erase a lot of things. Like, you can really reprogram a society to believe. I mean, Fanon writes about this. Like, you read the books long enough and you'll believe that you're white. You'll believe that you're, you're inferior. You'll believe that something is uh, wrong or with you because the books don't talk about it. They don't give you visibility or they write already a very a narrative of who's superior and who's inferior. And if you do that long enough, you will believe it. So my question is always like, well, where did that come from? It, isn't, it doesn't have to be that you're just... I mean, colonization doesn't just mean that it's occupation of the land and you, you service uh, mm -hmm. some sort of slavery and violence. You are colonized in your bodies and minds in different ways. And whatever that may be or how that's experienced, that's a question I would ask. Like, Even if you say, okay, we weren't colonized... Well, the Ethiopia was also a problematic thing because they did have the influence of the trade and, and there was also the isolation and issues in the history of Ethiopia, which would change the opinions of Ethiopians that it's so easy to do in 10 years to say, okay, you're going to think like this. I mean, given the situation of any small occupation or even any small change in narrative, education, sociality, or how you make people believe, it will change the minds of mm -hmm. us. We are, we are our way in our generation now because this experience we share as a collective mm -hmm. and this seems completely normal. The moment you step out of this collective society, which is, let's say, Brussels today, you are estranged and you're not sharing the same experiences. But then you're confronted with that. When you live in a society where you're, you're in Ethiopia, you get used to a certain society, used to a way of being. You won't question, you accept it as normative and that anti-blackness becomes normative. Mm -hmm. But we don't ask, like, where does it really come from? Because I think some things you can't always trace back and some things you don't want to admit. And a lot of the education and a lot of the knowledge has been erased or as for Freud's term, hysteric, is that it becomes so... It becomes so put in the unconscious that it's not even able to put into words so you don't know why you're doing it. So I think it's like, again, I don't know from which position to uh, argue about it. I'm still, again, for the problem is there. I think it's a terrible problem. It's an atrocity that we still deal with this. Mm -hmm. I still want to know how do we deal with the source of it because I think we are very good as a Western society of band-aiding and you know, we can talk about things and we can pick at the topic and we can massage the issue and feel better about it but we're still not dealing with the source of it. So the source of antibiotics comes from something. And I think that's that's not your job, but it's Ethiopia's job or someone else's job to look into that. I mean, mm -hmm. we still didn't deal with Namibia and Germany's colonization. Germany went completely clean in colonization. Our biggest colonizers are <laughs> the French and the British and the, the mm -hmm. Spanish. And, and I was like, well, Germany... And the Dutchies and the Belgians. And the Dutchies. But how, many, how much do people talk about the Belgians? Oh, yeah, it's a different topic. Well, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you talk to. Right. But I mean, it's like, Ethiopia is an interesting place, but there's a lot that we do not know about because we don't discuss Ethiopia enough. Mm -hmm. And we discuss Ethiopia from perspective of being distant from, it's not considered African, it's considered more Middle East. And you're just like, wait. Hell no. Mm -mm. We wait. don't claim that. Like, but who made that, right? <laughs> you're like, wait, what? I'm confused. <laughs> so it's like these narratives is we still, we accept things. And I get it. We accept things because someone gives you a source of knowledge, you consume it and you believe it to be true. Fanon had the so same experience. Ethiopia is like the thing, they're like the chosen country and they don't associate themselves with anyone except for like Judaism which comes it comes associated with the Middle East which yeah. means the Middle yeah. East they, they play into identity of the yes it's what Fanon said basically you leave Martinique you arrive in French and you're like oh I'm back because Martinique identity is very mm -hmm. it's something um, <laughs> you arrive in France and you're like oh homeland and they're like yeah hey you Martinique and like what are you doing here it's so good that you almost sound like us and you're like wait what you don't see me as I see you like 
this no. is just my home. Like, no, it's not. I think the Ethiopian experience is always shocking for when Ethiopians come somewhere else. It's like, well, <laughs> sorry, you're black, you're African. You're like, but wait, no, I'm, I'm different. And this is, this is a good book, Black sure. Behind the Ear, of like the Dominicans arriving to America. And they were like, okay, black Spanish people and speaking people. And they were like, I am not black. I'm Dominican. They're like, mm-mm. Mm. and he speaks Spanish welcome to America still gonna experience racism oh let's give him a little pass because he speaks Spanish they're like a different kind of black and I'm like no but do you see this like you see his ears you see this like you know his shoulders you see this like color and they're like yeah wait what blackness. that's a thing that's black, like, black yeah. behind the ears is basically like the. it's a very great book and it's a whole case study on how blackness work in Dominican because Dominican Republic is the island of Haiti it was split after um, revolutions and after many changes that happened but it's Haiti so can you imagine that Dominica, Dominican Republic and Haiti have such tensions right now mm-hmm. Dominican Republic has more tension to Haiti and it's racist and you're just like wait so you just hate yourself okay I'm confused like how did you just cut a line it's like a bo- you know a rope and you're like this is our land and we're different we're Spanish we're from Spanish roots and you're just like you were Haitian. Mm-hmm. This is just Haiti. It just it, come on, people. Are you serious? And you're like, no, but look at our ears. And so black behind the ears is like they basically were so obsessed with race that you can look for the ounce of blackness behind the ears. You would be like, oh, it's still black. And is that perversion around race? Like their version of the paperback test? It's it's just more extreme. Like that's an obsession with race. That like you look for everything right. to still confirm the blackness. So you want to have the mixation happen as much as possible. You basically that was a good the good thing to do. Is like if you keep mixing, those things yeah, go yeah, away. You're, you're, you're the hybrid. You did the hybrid was the aim. The brownness mm-hmm. is the aim of like you mix well. And this is where Brazil comes in. It's the, the same in Brazil. Oh, yeah. It's like the, that painting. You know that painting with like a black grandmother and her grand daughter is like white and she's like thanking god you know that painting yep. oh my god i wish i knew the title of that painting i do not know it i mean there's probably one a reproduction in mexico because that's also a big issue in mexico yeah. mexico is also interesting with this as well yeah. they're going through this as well and you're like oh, mexico and i was like wait guys mexico when was mexico white first of all I, I was i was in mexico i just never thought that secondly like i when i lived in mexico i was like i was completely just like oh mexico cool like it's, it's like going back home except it's central america you know and you're just like there are there are black Mexicans that you cannot erase is how Im- how fluid blackness is everywhere. And there's another point, important, going back to your question, is like there's different types of blackness people. So let's not try to force one and let's not focus on like your Dutch blackness versus my Mexican blackness versus Ethiopian blackness. Like, we're still facing different things. I mean, like racism isn't something that we should want to have levels like ooh I'm experiencing level one racism versus level four I feel good about my life it's like I don't want that I don't want a tax deduction on racism like ooh I received 40% less racism this year yeah. <laughs> no but at the same time I think you know you're you're right in the sense that we, we don't like blackness blackness is such a broad term and not every single black person is the same thing and at the same time like an African immigrant arriving in America you know they're going to be treated shitty they're going to face racism but they're still going to be treated differently Absolutely, from an African-American. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also, I mean, the Caribbean-African uh, dialogue that goes on, especially if you look at the 60s, 70s, and 80s, is like, there is some access. I'm speaking from the Caribbeans again. <laughs> the Caribbean is like, it's it, it, some access like, oh, you came from Cuba. Okay, bad example, Cuba. Oh, you came from Jamaica. Oh, you didn't come from Africa. Oh, okay, here you go. You're welcome. We still don't really like you, but it was between you and the African. It was like, you're just like, this is such bullshit. It's the same shit, but you're basically pinning us against each other if we were forced to fight for our own space. Like, uh, like it's not the same thing, and I think we are still stuck in that. I'm, again, I'm going to go back to, I think, 
does Andre 2000 make a good point in this? Perhaps he does. <laughs> Perhaps he does. I mean, like what he's focusing on now is just like the looking at society and things that he's been learning from it as he goes on with his music. And Donald Glover is a... Hi, Donald. You should definitely interview me. <laughs> I know you live he's in my, New York. He's my, he's my cousin. He listens to this all the time. <laughs> right, me. <laughs> also, Akala, like, definitely would like to do an interview with him. <laughs> he's all post-colonial. Sorry, I'm just going to do an Akala. Akala, that example. Um, <laughs> let's go with go Akala. For it. Go for it. Let's go with Akala. Like, there goes the person that is... Is he... Well, he just talks about post-colonialism. Wait, he's the British guy, right? Yeah. Okay. The British Caribbean. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I love him. I saw two videos by him and was like, wow. He's great. Mm-hmm. So, Akala, you know where to find me. <laughs> Brussels. Uh, and out comes London. <laughs> save Kim. Save me. Hashtag save Kim. Um, I think that this is, these are things where it's like, He's doing a good job. I think Akala is probably more modern, postmodern in the sense of doing it postcoloniality because he's still very strongly looking at colonialism. I think it's just like we need to deal with this as the whole thing, not the parts of it is basically my argument is that I think we need to come together more. That sounds really cheesy and really like very reduced, but I'm not talking about like let's come together, hold hands and sing Beatles song. Yeah. Yeah, no, none of that. I'm talking about like mm-hmm. seriously come together. Like if your blackness is African and your blackness is Indian, your black yeah, if your blackness is Indian, just remember that India. <laughs> Black. <laughs> Sorry. The history in Africa and India is so strong. Please look it up. Um if your if your blackness is uh, in Vietnam, oh yeah, I want to Asia now. Like, these are the things, like, I mean, Ho Chi Minh from the Mongolian culture, like, look those things up and look at those links and stop trying to, like, create the bodies against each other. Like, Donald Glover's video, the bodies are even against each other. Like, you just shot another body that's your body and you don't care about that body because your body is most important for the individual capital you gain from it. So you become super individualistic, super uh, fragmented neoliberal productions. Mm. I think it's like, what about coming together on that to create that agency that is so strong that we need this? I mean, you have the black movement in Brazil in some parts and yet you still have the most atrocities of racism in Brazil. Mm. You have the highest population of a second, I think Brazil is the second nation of black bodies next to Africa and you still have racist issues. Mm. And you're thinking, why aren't we coming together? Mm -hmm. Why is your Brazilian blackness have to be different from my Caribbean blackness or my Syrian blackness? Yes, that's me. (laughs) Why does it have to be different? Like, why does it have to be like that? Like, why do we keep reproducing these mimicries of imaginaries of what blackness is? And that keeps us distance. Like, if you're like, oh, I'm Lebanese, I can't relate to that. Yeah, and let's admit it. Blackness is mostly just associated with the African-American experience. This is true. Black doesn't mean African-American. Can we just say, say that, okay? I will say that yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm anti-imperial nation, so Europe and America are not on my vocality of a speech at the moment, and I will say this. So I think it's like, I do want to hear other narratives. I think why, why we get stuck in the American narrative is because what I do appreciate about the Americas and all the critiques I have about America mm-hmm, as a nation mm-hmm. and society and the current things, aside is that they are the most vocal and they are the one taking the most risk. And I think that's where it's like, it may be frustrating for other people to have that narrative, but my question is, if you're frustrated with it, 
try to step up your game to be as vocal and as daring as the American black narrative is being. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't get Audre Lorde and Maya Angelou and Angela Davis and all these other people into this sphere of speaking because they were just passively writing academic text that sits nowhere but in academic space and is isolated. It's because they were outside the Black Panthers. You have Yui who was out there like basically doing things that connected Vietnam again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, guys, please step up your game. Like from Europe to the, I mean, the Caribbean is also a fantastic place of uh, of writers that we have a and lot. We have Stuart Hall. We yeah. have so many people that come out of there that really did things. And it's not just the Amer. It's maybe this is the American experience because it's part of the Americas. Um, but I think it's like, well, if we're frustrated with the Americas speaking louder, then really step up. Like maybe you know, deal with your issues in India. Deal with your issues in. Uh, parts of like Africa is, is still has to deal with its different uh, continents coming together, like the fragmentation of the society. Like let's get that. I'm happy to hear those narratives. I mean, Lumumba was an f- excellent example of mm. that bringing together and that cohesiveness of basically looking not just at Congo, but looking more in a larger scope of like this isn't just the problem of Africa. It's a problem of coming together, and understanding the issues, and understanding how your system works in a deeper sense. I think that Lumumba was definitely not only modern and not even I hate to use the word modern because it, it makes you feel like the new pilot they were not modern but I think even uh, thinking it was very present thinking um, in the sense of like it, you cannot limit it to just the racial narrative you have to limit it to the fact it's like why are we apart when you see, and you understand like why are we apart it's not always our choices created by other systems that we should be dealing with and confronting and the moment that that example so it's just like Think about it in this way. Like, if we're fed up with the American narrative, let's not be fed up with it. Mm-hmm. Let's use it and let's build on that mm-hmm. and create things. We're not creating things. We're just arguing for or against things. That's a, I feel like we're very much, our bodies are stuck in very um, reproductive, uh, not even academic. I do have a problem with academia, apparently, at the moment. <laughs> I'm not even, yeah, but that's a limiting narrative space. Well, we're stuck in this kind of like for or against, very just like very restricted binaries all the time. Like we always want to be at it. We want to be in disagreement with the, with the agreement, or we want to be against whatever is going. And it's just like that's not actually intuitive or productive. That is just basically putting you on op- opposition and stagnant. So when do we come together to deal with these? The body moving in a different way that is not produced by mimicry of these past narratives in the present. I'm more interested in that. To go in with the... Yeah. <laughs> to make a statement real fast, when you say these reproductions, are you also talking about like the construction from that whiteness has designated onto black bodies and then mimicrying exactly this, but in a negative format? So just negating a negation as trying to reenact this past narrative? Absolutely. Okay. I mean, that as well, and also the whole, like, reductions. And I think that's, again, these systems of, like, when we speak about... Do, am I out of time? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> um, do we, when we speak about things, like, when we speak about, oh, the, you know, like, um, I don't share experience. I'm Ethiopian or I'm Dutch. I don't share experience. It's just, like, this mimicry also puts us in this position to constantly be at ends with each other, to constantly be in a position where you're fighting not even for the same space. You're fighting for the same space, but it feels different because you title it differently. I think that mimicry is meant to do that. Like the colonial narrative is meant to keep us apart. Mm. And by reproducing and fighting even for that, we chain ourselves to an opposition always rather than to look at more cohesive and more actively applied. And I think this is where I'm going to, in my paper again, I talk about going back to traditional forms of intersectionality. Kimberly Crenshaw was completely underrated, completely overlooked, I think, again, because it's a black woman who is speaking about issues in a very present sense, and she wanted to step further not to just talk about blackness. She talked about gender. She talked about how economics, how these factors link mm-hmm. the intersection of everything, how it works to oppress these bodies, these black bodies, and all other bodies that are non-white, and basically you need to look at these things. And it was like, the intersection to me is like a very, 
if it was a tool, it's like this tool that grabs all these people together and says, like, let's come together. Mm. So I think intersectionality in that sense is uh, worth looking into. And all we know how to do is respond to our past and present agencies. Because I don't think colonialism is past, I'm not going to say that, because then I'll be, like, shot by half the people. <laughs> I think it's, like, it's still there. It's just how do you deal with that in a present sense rather than just responding for or against? Yeah. And it is a bit difficult, I would suppose, as well, because if you're not, unless you use these cohesions to bring together a certain narrative of everybody coming together and not fragmenting um, as a kind of, okay, let's talk about whiteness and let's not talk about blackness all the time, because even in that very self-conscious, self-reflective notion, it still can so often be held in a colonial gaze towards the self. So it's kind of like, as long as we're also very deeply critiquing, oh, what can we do other than critiques of whiteness, we're still kind of cementing and reifying a certain kind of narrative that might not be helpful. Not that I think we shouldn't talk about it, but yeah. Definitely. I, mean, I would never say that we shouldn't talk about it. I, I'm also going to go with like the James Baldwin approach on race or identity. JB? <laughs> we share the same birthday, by the way, August oh. 2nd. 1943. <laughs> <laughs> She's looking good for 1943. Thank you, thank you. I try, I try. <laughs> you have a story to tell. Black don't crack. <laughs> I think if I hit it again, I might scream. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like, don't say that. Don't say it, please. I never say it. I'm like, didn't your dad? My said, dad literally yeah. just sent a picture today of him and my his twin, and of course said said, um, not too bad looking for some forty year olds. Hashtag black don't crack. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. We need to find a new sentence. Also, just like forty is really young. So he was. It I was thinking young. like ninety would have been a better. <laughs> I know. I said, wait, uh, it's already too much thinking in a white narrative because it's that ageism, is, actually. Yeah, that's ageism towards that. Yeah, and also it's just like black doesn't crack, but sometimes you do see that. It does crack sometimes. Sometimes it cracks. And it's just like that's putting a lot of pressure. Like, what if you're twenty and you just look haggard? You're like, oh no, <laughs> I am not my blackness. <laughs> I am not black. I <laughs> and I don't rhyme anymore. <laughs> It's like a cake spot. I can't. Yeah. Oh yeah, but James Baldwin basically. I am not your Negro documentary. It's just like if you want to look through, uh, look at things of the response of how he's saying. Like he puts it right back on the the white reproduction of race. He was like, basically, I don't say the N word. I'm not gonna appropriate. It's not in my music. I don't call my friends. I'm not into. I'm going with Maya Angelou. You cannot reappropriate smut. No matter what you say, so sorry to any music out there. It's like, why can't I say it? Just yes. don't say it. Say like, it again for the people in the back. <laughs> you cannot reappropriate smut. <laughs> Our producer can't say it. Our blonde producer. <laughs> She's very conscious. Yeah. She's woke. Charles can be woke. <laughs> so many Donald Glover references. I better be getting like 10% off my next Donald Glover record purchase from iTunes. <laughs> he's merch. one of the few off, uh, albums I downloaded and paid for. Ooh. <laughs> oh, by the way, she's one of the few people that I know that uses iTunes. Really? I'll talk about that later. Kim. Right, yes. Spotify. What do you mean? <laughs> she uses I. Love, she course, buys of music. Course, of course. And I support that. I want to use iTunes too. I mean, I just want to use Spotify, but I was like, that's way too much commitment I know. to my data plan. No, no, you're right, you're right. But Spotify. Can you download the music? No. Does it stay with you after you cancel your account? No. Well, guess what? What even if I lose my iPhones, I go home and like I'm like on my iTunes, yeah, yeah, 2010, the music's still there. But Spotify, it's like here it is now. Look at this modernity, all this present. You don't want to keep things. No commitment to things. Like iTunes is maybe old fashioned and super overpriced. One twenty nine. Like seriously, go back to your. 
cents mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a record. Amen. What twenty nine is such capitalist extortion? Seriously, iTunes sound cool. I mean, Apple used to take so much money. Cat uh, is like biting her tongue. She wants to say something. Oh, and just it is. Well, that is more the the fault of iTunes and Spotify than those kind of capitalist ventures, just um, underpaying artists as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But in that way, it is not overpriced but it is overpriced considering like what they still give to mm-hmm. that is true okay i mean and i shouldn't say anything on this topic because i have a spotify account which i paid for but i don't really support it yeah okay so, i think i'm a student so i guess i can't get away with that <laughs> so, so do we hate spotify Oh, let's leave that discussion That's out. a conversation we'll have next week <laughs> on technology, on intersectionality and technology. Sure. It's a conversation we'll have next week. Thank you, Jay I was baby. just going to finish with a James Baldwin Oh, yeah, 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 James Baldwin. Sorry. Can we just cut James Baldwin off? August 2nd. Wow. James Baldwin, I'm here for you. With Spotify. <laughs> You've been professing your love to people that are long dead. <laughs> that seems to be the only people I really madly in love I know, with. I know, I know, but you're like, I'm here for you, James Baldwin. I, I, he's still alive to me. <laughs> True. He's still sitting there writing in his symbol in my mind. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm writing, I'm like, James, what do you think about this? And he's like, he's like, baby, I don't mind a bit. <laughs> I've never seen anything better. I've like, written it better myself. Exactly. He's like, mm, baby, you just, you know, just put that semicolon. I'm like, James Baldwin, what is a semicolon about? Ooh, <laughs> you're having some intimate conversations with him with that semicolon. I, I have my whole diary of Franz Fanon and I. It's, it's like Franz Fanon and I, if we were... About punctuation? No, it's like Franz Fanon. <laughs> no, that's me and James. Me and James Baldwin, we do that. But me and Franz Fanon, I would imagine that... I don't know why, but I imagine it's like, what would it be like to be in a relationship with James Baldwin? Not in this, like... Yeah. Not with James or with... Sorry, with um, Franz Fanon. Not in a sexual way, but I imagine, like, you know, Fanon writes to me, like, oh, not writes to me, like, me and Fanon are living together. And I'd be like, Fanon, do you want to go out? He's like, it's Wednesday. Do you think this is the right time to go out? And then it's Saturday, and he's like, I was like, Fanon, you want to go out? And he's like, un- unbuttons his tie, gets down, and then he's like, that's good. I'm good for the month. And back to writing and mobilizing Lovely. and deep. <laughs> but, but France had a thing for white girls. He even met a whole chat. He made two chapters about it. I know. In, uh, Black skin's white mask. Mm-hmm. But that's because, well, then, you know, like, all I got to say is, I'm not from Martinique. And I just got to say, there you go, Martinique, reconfirming my thoughts. So here's where I go to Cuba and to Haiti and to Jamaica and all these places where it's like, Stuart Hall. Damn it, he did it too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's a topic for another time as well. Black intellectuals and their white bays. Mm. Yeah. I we mean, actually might have one in the house right now. <laughs> wow, Jaden. Jaden. Who are we talking about, Amy? About me, because oh. I have a white boyfriend. I'm so sidestepping wow, out of this conversation right now. <laughs> anyway, let's not talk Masha? about... Oh, actually. Oh, and Kat. Masha too and Masha. You know, let's just not talk about my romantic life for now. I mean... <laughs> to, well, I guess we might have to close it down for the final segment right now. So, should we still give the James Baldwin Oh, call? yeah, James yeah, Baldwin. I mean, I can't... Well, <laughs> let's go, let's go. And then, right. yeah. <laughs> I mean, just going to keep James, putting him in. So James, basically going back to our discussion, which has been about all these very, yeah, race, colonialism, post-colonialism, responding to the Netherlands issue of identity, blackness, people of color. To close it, I think... I talk about racial slurs, apparently, to close it. But basically, like James Baldwin said that. So I basically want to say James Baldwin was, his quote was, um, I don't have it exactly. I know I'm going to butcher it a bit because it's a long one. But basically, to the N-word, he says, you know, 
baby, that's not my term. That's yours. That's for that's what whiteness creates. That's what you call yourselves at the end of the day. That's your thing to deal with, not mm. me. I think that's the thing. Is like, yeah, let's think a bit more like James Baldwin in the sense of all those things, those terms that are put on us to carry and also to fight against and to fight for. Like we do fight for terms. Like we fight for blackness, which is created in whiteness and created in racism. We fight for that. And like we fight for racist fabrications. That's interesting. But we don't deal with that. And James Baldwin's like, you you deal with that. I am not your Negro. I am not any of those things you tell me I am. I am dealing with this larger issue, which is, you know, the oppression of America or the issues in Europe or having to leave America because my body's at risk, my sexuality's at risk, my thought is at risk that is so much bigger to me than your your fabricated words that you impose onto me. Again, the hysteria. You take these things that you cannot speak about and you put them onto someone else. That's not me. You deal with that. I'm going to deal with the problems that I need to solve. Mm. Wow. Can True. we have an applause? <laughs> J-Baby. <laughs> that was the original J-Baby, by the way. Yeah, yeah. That was the original J-Baby. I caught that. Um, I just love that he said baby, baby, baby. I'm just, I never say baby, but he makes me say baby. <laughs> I was actually reading um, today, I wish I knew the name of it, uh, Afrigan, or I forgot who what the name of the person was, but this also goes back to the whole um, racism is this, racism does, but the whole kind of stigma that or that is said that, oh yeah, um, homosexuality is a Western concept or whatnot, as a given, as like Western things giving and whatnot, but he... Uh, this person that I was reading today said, uh, "There's uh, that there's this thing that people say that oh homosexuality is a Western concept, so it's not an African thing, blah blah, which is completely untrue, which already is a rehistorization. I'm not sure who's saying this. I'm reading it, <laughs> just so you know, I'm not in dialogue with people saying mm-hmm. it. Careful it's a hearsay, <laughs> but it's kind of just saying that homosexuality has always existed, but the only thing that was given by colonialism and whiteness has always been forms of the negative, as Fanon would say. So, like, homophobia was the only thing that was given. And so that's a negative as well. Instead of saying homosexuality was given, which is a positive aspect, it is also, yeah, to not think about these things given, but these negatives that to work against. Absolutely. This is, I think, yeah, this goes back to, like, intersectionality. It's like, if you see how much these things intersect, you'll see how much, how urgent it is for things to come together and to focus on the bigger picture. As again, the system, the system we talk about, like the system is broken, the system has failed us, things aren't working. I'm still trying to figure out like, is the system located in New York City or is it located in Paris or is it London? Or didn't move to Berlin because it couldn't afford the price the in London. The headquarters <laughs> yeah. is in Brussels. Yeah. Probably. We got NATO under, right here. Probably it's overlooked system. And you're like, where is the system? I, I kind of just want to like, you know, knock it off. But mm-hmm. we talk about the system and we're like, the system. Right, are you speaking to the system? Yeah. Hello. In your system. <laughs> and it's just like, as you're saying, is that it, what the system also does is it creates these fragmentations to kind of lose focus. Like, I think we are currently, in a sense, that's why we are fragmented. That's why things are being reduced. Like, if we talk about homosexuality, we don't relate to why that's created from patriarchy or from the religious sense of how they colonize the lands and how that works. Or, like, sexuality is just like, when you really come down to sexuality, you're just kind of like, is that really like, sorry, but I don't care what you do in your bed. What I do in my bed is differently. Why are we talking about that? Like, it's actually two different faraway things, you know? Mm. It's homosexuality, sexuality, all these things are just like trickling down the racism and oppressions and forms of discriminations. But that's a discrimination. Let's deal with that first. And you can have yeah. your luxuries to deal with those other topics as well. Right, right, mm. right, right. It's forms of I think power structures. Yeah. I think that might just be a good way to end this. Maybe we do. Shall we move on to our 
last section. Oh, also, if you want to get more into Fanon and don't have time to read it, uh, watch Concerning Violence, narrated by Lauren Hill, uh, a documentary that uh, is the first uh, chapter about violence, about how um, the colonized body is reduced to forms of violence, and this is the only way for... Um, the, yeah, when the body, the colonized people are reduced to violence and whatnot um, through bodily functions. So that's pretty interesting to read. We talked about Lauren last week. We talked about Fanon's this week. You can really get a mix in. Yeah. Get and your read on. My paper is coming out soon. Yes. yes. Or it's a book, actually. It's like 160 pages. So is Ooh. it a paper or is it a Whoa. book? <laughs> Small essays on the body and how do we move in postcoloniality. And Fanon has a movie. There was a movie made for Black Skin White Mask. It's worth looking into. When? Yeah. Um, it's not new, but there was a movie made about it. Cool. Oh. Check it out. Is it on YouTube? Probably. Probably. I'm not sure what it's called. Maybe it's called like Two Shoes and a Tap. So I'm completely <laughs> underneath. <laughs> but anyway, thank you, Kim, for coming here and sharing your wisdom with us. It was really inspiring. And it's always inspiring to see you. Mm-hmm. Let's give her a round of applause. Your vision. Woohoo! Thank you. She will be a recurring guest on this podcast, by the way. She doesn't she just doesn't know it yet. I but. really don't know it. <laughs> this is actually a talk show kind of podcast, so mm-hmm. we'll probably start. We got a few extra chairs in here today, you know, yeah, things yeah. are expanding. I literally came by for tea and to say hello and now I've done a fifty minute podcast. Love it. <laughs> Love it. More than an hour. This is okay. really wow. Alright, let's move on to the last one. Last one and then girl, I really need to go. Do you mind doing the last one without me? Yo, yo, yo. So this segment, we're going to bring it back to basics. We're going to do a freestyle. I'm so happy I'm not involved in this one because I don't like it. But you're good at it. No, I'm not. It makes me nervous and anxious. I'm super happy I don't have to do it. So uh, this one's going to be by J-Baby and Kim. Yeah, Kim doesn't know. <laughs> but it's about to, it's about to be amazing. She's really good at this. The whole reason this even started was from one time me and Kim had a two hour, I think, poetry battle back and forth. And I'm not trying to say anything. She's using the bathroom when she comes in. I'm about to kill it. Later, Maylot. Bye. So this is Kim talking on a slam poem about love. Sounds like I'm about to give birth. <laughs> Bring it forward. <laughs> okay, let's try to do this out of the flow of my mind. I awoke in a scare. I was terrified. You thought I wanted more to touch you, for you to linger, to hold me. But that wasn't it. It was a nightmare, a dream, something I feared. I grabbed you because in my dream, I was afraid. I wanted to grab this piece so badly, literally cut it apart. And then you woke up and you asked me, You want more. You assume that I want more. That you were the body. You were the being superior. That my needs cannot be sacrificed. That I cannot control myself. That I would wake you in a slumber of sleep to have more. How dare you when I needed you to care about me, about my fear. I needed you to ask me if I was okay. But you asked if I wanted your body, if I wanted more. You asked me what I was doing. Anytime you woke up in pain, confused, disheveled, No matter what my sleep was like, I woke up and asked, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That that was just off the top of your head. Yeah. That was incredible. Well, I actually did have a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) I I had this feeling, and that is a real experience, but I thought it was better said in a poem. (laughs) Beautiful. Really beautiful. (laughs) 
Okay, now I want to do one final one because I just can't help myself. Also on, the, also on love. Slippery fins, you knew that I never was one to begin, but you always saw my fins. <laughs> but every time my flippers flew. <laughs> Fuck. Who laughs at their own poetry? <laughs> I knew the love between. Every time my flippers grew, you always knew how to make us into two. Always knew that I was true. Grew. (laughs) I can't. I'm trying to take it seriously, but all I see in my head is literally a pink one. I can try to go on with you as the flippers. I'm gonna try this. She's so softly and kindly breaking you down. I know, I know. No, She's trying to serve no. me. She's trying to serve me no. on, on our own I'm podcast. Actually, I'm actually trying to help you on this. I'm going to link up on this. Okay, how about we link up on this? You say a sentence or two. I'll say a sentence or two or finish it and we'll just go back and forth. But I'm going to finish your flippers. Well, I'm going to make it. Flip, finish it and I'll hit you back okay. and we'll keep doing like, we do this. Just, okay. okay, yeah, we do this. And go like this when... When I'm done? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'll go like this when I I'll do I'll go like this when I'm done for flippers. <laughs> flippers flipped the script turned again from hearts broken to hearts connected you have flipped your heart yet again here i sit missing those flippers that used to caress my chest my skin my lips the way you graze me now i'm left unable to float sinking down no flippers no one to help me just flipping down and going down where are you when i flipped the script When I flipped the script, you were nowhere to be found. I turned the pages and you said you were down, but I looked up and I could see your feet. I was at the bottom and you thought you could deceit. I, you, another three, flipping flip, and it wasn't reality. It was always a dream, incandescent and shining, but every time you thought... It was the sun. It was your own cornea. Corneas. (laughs) Corneas. Corneas. The eyes to see what happens and what lies beneath the sea. Throwing me back down in a spiral. I cannot breathe. Gasping for air. Water. Water everywhere. Corneas. I thought I could use you to see. But under the sea, you don't need corneas to see. You need fins. You need... Flippers, you need to stay afloat to take in water. But what do I do now that I have these corneas and I still fall down, drowning beneath the ocean's waters? You say you're drowning beneath the ocean waters, but you forget that you're an amphibian, always on land and always at sea. You think that you have to choose one, and you thought that you didn't choose me. Every time you get back to the greenery, lush and sound, your flippers flip and the sky isn't moving around. You want to get back down to the water where I am. Your corneas never were made out of more than paper and sand. I'm here. I can't breathe. I'm not an amphibian. I was something made of trees. Trees. Trees, how they caress me, giving me life to breed. Underrated, just not even considered 
considered only as a fallacy. The trees, my essence of life, I should know you more. When I get lost in the forest, I should call you more. Why don't I look at trees to give me answers? Trees whistling through, I'm still lost without you. I rely on my phones and my data to get me through, but in the end it will be trees that will help us, direct us to be <laughs> free. As I pass through, the sand that grits my feet, walking along the path with many trees. I am mixed between the beach and this forest. I am in a place somewhere other, somewhere new. Because of you, my leaves have fallen down. Leaves have fallen down and been made into peat. Your leaves were then made to cold to be burned back into the atmosphere. Once again, you never knew what you could be. I kept walking with my roots pulled up to the sky and my roots always so painful, more than I knew than I could be this shy. Never did you think about one second that once my roots come up, I must come down. You keep saying that you flipped around and the sand meets the beach, but my destitute was something that was never breached. I'm sitting here, I'm lying down, a log on the ground, crying, waiting for a moment so sound. If I fall and you're not there flipping around, can anyone hear it? Can anyone hear it? Pulling my roots up like strange fruit, what have we become? Wondering what this new birth is, the birth of a new nation who cannot see, who's told how to be. Bodies chained and unfree, our roots coming down, growing, sprayed, undignified, growing in this modernity. Where do we go from here? We're asking questions about the past, asking for things we can see in our past. We don't see forward, we only see backwards. We exist presently going backwards. Okay, that was it, that was very long. (laughs) 